Listener Production. Welcome to Fail with Greta Lee Jackson, the podcast where I speak to people about times they messed up and what they learned on their journey to success. This story comes from a friend who I'll call Larry. In my early 20s, I lived on the fourth floor of a share house and the bathroom was on the first floor. Drunk one night, I couldn't be bothered to go downstairs and I peed in an empty bottle and left it on the veranda. It was some hair mist spray bottle thing my girlfriend had left at the house. The next week, she was having a coffee out there and decided to spruce up her look. Went to university with old piss hair and did not realise for many hours later when she thought she smelled weird. Luckily, that girlfriend is now wife and loves to loudly tell this story in public over and over again. Speaking of girlfriends, in this episode I'll be talking to comedian and actor Michelle Brazier about her boyfriend Bort, burned butts and bitchy doctors. I was in like year nine at school and he he was um, Ethiopian and he and his friends, we met at Carol's by Candlelight, but he had recently come to Australia. So his English was like not super strong and his accent was super strong. And he, it was around, like, it was around the Simpsons time of my life. You know, you're watching a watching lot of the, the Simpsons because you're a teenager. And I, um, I asked him his name and he said, Bort. And I said, <laughs> pardon? And he said, Bort. And I said, what was your name? And he said, Bort. And I was like, all right, now I've asked three times and it seems to still be Bort. <laughs> and I was like, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't hear. Can you say it again? And he's like, Bort. And I was like, okay, his name is Bort. That's right. That's what his name is and that's fine. And then I like checked with his friends and I was like, what's his name? And they're like, Bort. And I was like, what's his name? And they're like, Bort, but they all have the same accent. So I'm like, okay, this is Bort. It's Bort. This is Bort. And anyway, Bort and I start dating. And Bort and I dated for like three or four weeks, which was quite a long time in high school. And then um, he he called me and he was like, I want to sing to you. And I was like, oh, okay. And he sang the entire My Heart Will Go On. The whole song, the whole song, no instrument, over the phone, just singing. And, I mean, he had a nice voice, but that's not an appropriate thing to do. And I was like, okay, this is not what I, we got to stop this. And so I I broke up with Bort on the phone. And then two weeks. Wait, after he was singing, the same phone call? After he, I tried to stop him singing. I was like, stop, 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 I got to talk to you. And he was like, every night in, I was like, stop, 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 stop. And then, um, <laughs> so we broke up. Very nice. By the way, you're dumped. You're dumped. Yuck. <laughs> and then <laughs> two weeks later, I saw his friend Joseph and Joseph came up and was like, why did you break up with Paul? And I was like, oh, fuck. And I just, I thought his name, Paul and Bort don't sound the same. <laughs> but the whole time I'd be like, this is my boyfriend, Bort. And he'd been like, yeah, yeah, I am. That, I guess that's who I am. Just insa- I'd been to his family home, like. It's insane. Yeah, I thought his name was Bort. It was that's really for funny. How long? For how long? For three weeks. That's, that's good. Three weeks. I thought his name was Bort. Bort. God. All right, that's <laughs> so good. Fail! How would you describe 
what you do. How I'm a storyteller. Isn't that? It's, it's masturbatory, isn't it? But I think that's true. I am a storyteller. I'm a singer of songs. Uh, I like to enter a room or um, enter your room through a screen privately and change how you're feeling. I got cast in Mad as Hell this year and that is insane. To just like when I first met Sean McAuliffe and he was like, do you want to come and do this? I like It was like time stopped and I could just see myself sitting in Wagga watching Full Frontal, like taping Full Frontal and re-watching it. Like just, I think that was a real like, oh my God, you've, this is crazy. This is insane. Like your work's paid off. Kind yeah. Of it was just like, oh, you are, you, this is going to be fine. Like this is going to work out. Like, you know, you know those times when you just go, oh no, this has all been worthwhile. All the years of like debt and all the Edinburgh fringes and, and just like killing yourself running from gig to gig to gig that's paid off because somebody that you admire has given you this opportunity to play and, and trusted you. Mm. Like somebody trusts you now. And to have Sean McAuliffe look at me and be like, yes, I trust you, go, just do whatever. Like here are the words, you can you create a character from these words is insane. That's so crazy to me that I, I get to do that. I hope, I hope he doesn't change his mind ever. <laughs> but it's a treat. Was there any self-doubt before that? I think not so much self, oh, maybe self-doubt. I think there's a place that all performers get to um, where you just go, is is this going to work out? Is this going to be okay for the rest of my life? Because even now when I'm working on Mad as Hell, that's like I when, I'm, when it stops shooting and in between the next season, then I, you know, I don't have a paycheck. So it's like, what if I want to buy a house? What if I want to? So I just... Usually things do come and I've been consistently having enough stuff come in that it's been fine, but that sort of freelance style of work can be really scary. And I also think because I collaborate so much and people love me in Auntie Donna and people love me in Double Denim, to be to, to, to have that focus brought down to we love what you do, you, Michelle, and we want you and your work, we don't want double denim to come we don't want you know auntie donna and we want you as well like it's just like we literally just want you and i think before that i'd I'd been unsure i'd done one solo show and i had a really great time but i there was part of me that was like i don't know if this is a fluke i sang a lot in it and i'm quite a strong singer so i was like i don't know if i'm leaning a lot on my voice i think it was just a real affirmation that was like no, you can you can do it on your own and you, this hasn't just been a fluke of you being in the right room with the right people. Was it confronting to have it all on your shoulders and not no more collabs? No, I loved it. It's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting yeah. because I rely on collabs because I'm too scared to go out there, out there on my own. Yeah, I know it, it is scary, but I'm very much um I run at a I run at a challenge. Like I just will if my agent called me and said, "Can you uh skateboard?" Uh, for an ad next week, I would be like, yep, absolutely. And I would just skateboard. I would figure out how to skateboard for a week. Like I'm that, I'm just like, let's fucking do it. It'll be scary and it'll be awful maybe. I have, I've, I've gotten into trouble doing that before. I <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, so, you tell me, tell me. So I studied, I studied music theatre, as I said, and so I've had some tap dancing experience. But <laughs> I wouldn't say that that much. And they were doing auditions for Cats in South Korea. And I was at a stage in my career where I wanted to do South South Korean cats. I'm not there now, luckily. But at the time, I definitely wanted to do it. And I was like, 
I went in because there's one role that requires a, a cat to mostly sing and not dance that much. And I'm, I've got dance training. I'm just not that good. So I was like, okay, all right, I'll come in. I'll come in for the, for the singing cat. And I did the song. And then they were like, we think you've got the right vibe for this particular cat who is a tap dancing cat. Do you have any tap experience? And I was like, oh, yeah, yes, I do. Um, I'm, it's not my strong suit, but I can tap. And they were like, how well can you tap? And I was like, oh, I can do like a double time step or a triple time step. I can do a bit of wings and that's kind of it. And they were like, all right, okay, well, it's up to you. If you feel like you are confident, then we'd love you to come to the callback and dance for that cat. And I was like, yeah, hell yeah, let's just do it. Because usually in a musical theatre callback, there's like 30 people at least in the room with you doing the same dance and you kind of move. So you can start at the back of the room and then by the time the lines have moved forward, you've had more time to learn the dance, which is my main problem is like picking up the dance. But I walked into this room and it was just me, um, a guy and then another girl and we were all auditioning for different roles, which is very strange. And they gave us all different choreography. So Oh, you can't copy off anyone. I couldn't copy off anyone. My friend Jill Cosgrove was playing the piano for the auditions and she saw me walk in and looked at me like, oh, mate, what have you done? Like she just, (laughs) she knew that I had really made a mistake and I went in there and I just couldn't do it. I also couldn't take it seriously because the choreographer's like, I mean, she's choreographed cats. She loves cats. That's her whole world. And she's like... Okay, now your babies are in trouble, so your claws are out. And now, oh, your claws are back in. And just, and I was just like crying with laughter and Jill's crying with laughter trying to play the piano and keep it together. And then these are the other two people who are like, this is my dream job, can you get out of the way, please, you big clumsy woman? And I just couldn't, it was so funny. I just left. I was just like, I have to, I've made a mistake. I've got to go. And they, you just left midway through. Yeah, I was yeah. just like, this is, I'm disrupting the class. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I put myself in that situation. I would be I don't, I, inconsolable. Oh, it was so funny though. <laughs> what? That's. I guess that's what I want to ask you. Why aren't you scared? Why aren't you put off by stuff like that? I'm not scared of anything because I mean I'm scared of things, but I I I don't allow fear to get in the way of that because my life was very privileged. I was always like. I didn't even see my parents fight. Like everything was amazing. I had whatever I wanted. We weren't like rich, but it was just like, yeah, you can have that backpack. You can have the, they never said no to me. And so I had this privileged, wonderful understanding of the world. And then I moved to Melbourne and I accidentally set myself on fire. I learned to walk again. I spent a lot of time in a hospital. Then I got out of hospital and I was like, where's dad? Yes. Do you have a question? I do want to know <laughs> a little bit more about that. Like okay. the, just before, before we get on to the answer to that question, I just want to know the context of setting yourself Of the fire. So I sat, to, I literally sat too close to a heater. How, it was an old, old wives tale. I was 20. Yeah. And I just sat too close to the heater and then I was all of a sudden on fire and it was like I yelled at myself, stop, drop, roll. And then I did it like and it didn't work. And my housemate had to throw me into the shower, put on the water, but she put on the hot water. It was just like it should have been accompanied by the Benny Hill theme. It was absurdly funny, but also just real fucked up. And then all my like all my skin on my legs was just gone. I had third degree burns. And so I, yeah, I went to the hospital they put because we lived around the corner from the hospital as well. They put me in the car and just took me there. They called a nurse, so there was like a wheelchair waiting for me when we got there. But I was just like, all my leg skin is hanging off me. I'm in a dressing gown. I look like a wet chihuahua. 
Like, you know those chihuahuas that have bit, like patches of fur? I look like that. They're not chihuahuas. They're something else. But um, so full respect to chihuahuas, but I didn't look nice. And I'm just screaming. Like, I'm in so much pain. And it was, it was really, really absurd and, like, a really abrupt way to kind of end that privilege because that happened. And then I spent a month in the hospital. I got skin grafts, learned how to walk again. Because when you don't, when you can't move, you, your legs forget how to walk really quick which I didn't know and I didn't believe when they told me. I was like, I'll be fine, and then I fell straight down, um, which was quite funny. But it was just a really interesting experience. I was on a lot of, like, drugs, obviously, in the hospital, and I just watched a lot of America's Next Top Model. Was your life sort of interrupted? Were you busy at the time? Yeah, I was about to go overseas. I was about to go overseas and go to Scotland and audition for the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama. Yeah, and then I, I didn't. I didn't go. The reason I was actually going overseas, to be completely honest, was because I'd had no drama in my life and I just wanted to go overseas and, like, experience things and, like, get my heart broken and, like, have one-night stands and just, like, go over there and just fuck shit up. And then I guess it just happened early in a really different way. That inevitably led to the comedy path because I stopped taking things so seriously and stopped doing musical theatre and ended up being like, oh, now I'm doing comedy. And so now every year I'm at Edinburgh Fringe, I spend so much time in Scotland. Like, I've definitely made enough mistakes in Scotland now. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it was just really, um, it was a really eye-opening experience. I got out of hospital and Dad couldn't come and pick me up. Like, Dad, my parents live in Wagga, but Mum came to look after me for a while and then Mum and Dad were in Wagga when I got out of hospital and I didn't know why they weren't coming on the day I was getting out of hospital because I still had to have, like, nurses come and shower me at my house. It was quite a long recovery. I had to wear these stupid stockings for, like, two years, 23 hours a day, like, those compression-tight things. Um, and so I was quite full-on that they couldn't come, but it was okay. I was like, oh, that's just unusual. But then I realised it was because Dad was sick, then Dad got diagnosed with cancer, and then he died a week later. So it was just, like, it was all, all so... Um, also rosy and shiny and then just this kind of tragedy. And when, you, when you're 20, you don't expect your dad to die. Like you don't think that sort of thing. That's the sort of thing that happens to other people. Same with catching on fire, like learning to walk again. These are things that happen to other people. And so I think I just realised that, oh, this is not perhaps that. And then a few years later, my brother got cancer and he passed away. And so it just became this real, um, I just didn't fear anything because I was like, well, the, the perspective that that gave me was like, well, what, who cares if you can't tap dance? Just go into the room and figure it out, you know? Like, it'll be fine. And also, what if you get hit by a truck tomorrow? That kind of thing. It's like, I don't want to waste time, which is why I order Uber Eats on my way home when I'm drunk. (laughs) You know, I want to be prepared and I want to do, do the right thing. So that's that's informed your perspective. That means you're not scared anymore just from that, that experience, from yeah. that, that collection of experiences. Yeah, or I am scared, but I don't let it get in the way because oh, I don't want sorry. people to think I'm not scared because I am scared. That's um, the important difference. Yeah, yeah. It's but, okay to be scared. Bravery isn't not being scared. Bravery is just like doing it because you want to, even if it is scary. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's life's too short. Do it now. Yeah, exactly. Just do it. What are you going to, what, what? It's fine. No one cares. <laughs> Maybe you'll make a pianist laugh. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> my my um my best friend used to say to me, uh, she used to say, if it was easy, everyone would do it. <laughs> <laughs> so if it wasn't scary, if it wasn't daunting, then you know everybody would give yeah. it a go. Yeah. So, but that's that's really interesting thing. So I was just going. It's such a different perspective to the majority of creative people who who are like, it's going to go wrong, I may as well just not try. To me, it's just a different perspective and I just wanted to know how, <laughs> how it came about. Yeah, just a lot of uh, death and fire, I would say. Oh, wow. <laughs> but I'm, great. I'm really grateful for it. You know, it's given me such a good... Uh, lease on life, and like I'm so I'm so happy most of the time. I'm quite like the perspective is 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 a dream, and of course I'd rather have a brother and a, and a dad, but having this perspective is honestly a close second. Like you just you don't get bothered by the things that sh- aren't important. Because I remember reading an article of yours ages ago before I knew you, and it was really intriguing. Just that specter of illness, like chasing you around, and yeah, and. I know people where that's the case and they're, they've given up. Yeah, right. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm very, um, my fight or flight or freeze response is, is fight. So I'm very active in like, like, so we might have Lynch syndrome in my family. We don't know. My dad and my brother both passed away too quickly to get any um, uh, DNA tests done. So I can get the test, um, but it does, it sort of comes with a, a lot and I basically just live as if I have it. So I don't eat meat, I don't eat cow's dairy. I don't eat any dairy, but that's an ethical thing. I, do, I don't eat any um, cow's dairy, even if it's like from a mum and pop farm and the cows are having a wonderful time. I'll never put that into my body. I'm trying to reduce drinking. Like I just, I don't really drink a bunch, but I just, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to reduce stress as well. Like just all of the risk factors for those types of cancers that we might be susceptible to, I'm just trying to kind of eliminate that. And I get checked all the time. But it is it does cause a lot of fear and a lot of assumptions because you become someone that isn't it's, – it, it's no longer that's something that happens to other people. It becomes this is something that will happen to me. And that isn't helpful either. So it's kind of just trying to take control of that and being like doing as much as I can just in case but also not – Preparing for the worst and expecting the best, I think, is the best way to put it. Yeah. I think my my lowest point was probably at the start of this year, I think. It was, it was the most um, frozen I've ever felt, the most powerless I've ever felt. I had a um, – I woke up on Valentine's Day and I had a really red lump on my breast and I – saw it immediately and felt it and I was like, oh, okay. And I called the familial cancer centre straight away because I work with them. Um, they do all my testing and stuff. I called them and they're like, all right, well, we need you to see it as soon as possible because my brother's and my dad's cancers both worked very aggressively quite quickly. So it's like, all right, you need to come in. Um, and I was going to Adelaide Fringe that day, that night I was meant to go. And so I went in and they were like, look, you – we, we need to do more tests. We're not going to be able to do them. So I called the airline and changed the flight until that evening. And then I got, they did, they did a biopsy straight away. I had this, <laughs> this French doctor, she came in and she, she was like looking, she's like, it is strange because for me, 
you have no nipple piercing, you have no uh, tuberculosis, you have no exotic travel. So the it seems like infection, but there's no way you could have infection. You're not breastfeeding, so cannot be infection. So to me, it looks like a rare and aggressive cancer, oh, uh, but out. I don't know. And I was like, stop being so French yeah, about this, yeah. you psycho. <laughs> but I was just like... Oh, my God. And so she had done that and then I had the biopsy and I cried and cried. And I, I remember like my partner was there, my partner, Tim, who's just so incredible. He, he held my hand the whole time and watched it. And it must have been so gross because it was like draining fluid from this thing in my breast. And I'm just crying and I can feel like the blood like coming down, but you're obviously numb. But I can feel the, the wetness of the blood and I was just like, I'm so fucking scared and I don't want this to stop. Me, I don't like. I have so many things I want to do this year, and I don't want to not do them. And then, I um, uh, they were like, "Okay, look, we're gonna do the test, and we'll let you know in a week." And I was like, "Can I go to Adelaide?" And then they had a big discussion about it. Then they came back, and they were like, "You can go to Adelaide, but either come back for the results, or you have to sign this thing that says we can give you so like we you might be preparing to potentially hear the news that you've got cancer on the phone." So I was like, "I." I'll, let me think about it. Um, I'm going to go to Adelaide. I'll decide if I come back or not. And just that week in Adelaide waiting was so awful. My partner was in Melbourne with our dog and I was performing. Like My job is like to make people fucking laugh and to go and like getting up and singing with bands and like entertaining crowds and and just being on, like at those festivals, you, everyone knows you and and people want photos with you and you don't want to sit and cry in a cafe and you don't. So, so I'm like putting makeup on and stuff during the day, like I going out and like getting around people because I also don't want to be sitting by myself. You're away from your friends and family. You're not in your hometown. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like this is an incredible fringe community that really backed me and like Laura and um, Peter, our producer from Double Denim, they were so, so helpful to me. My mum came to Adelaide, slept in the bed with me because I couldn't sleep. And I've just, th- I think that's my problem is, is when I can't, control it when I can't do anything because I had no power I couldn't get the results any faster I couldn't uh, the only thing I could do was talk to all the drag queens that were that were at the fringe and be like where do you get your wigs from in case I need wigs like if I have to go on, on chemo and my hair is so good <laughs> I would be so sad if I lost my hair so <laughs> it is good here's one thing I can control maybe I'll know where to get a wig from so it was just like preparing so that if I got bad news I could make that call and be like, great, well, I'm getting a wig and I'm doing this. And, like, I just need things to do so I can't really sit in a negative space and just experience. I really panic. I, like, I remember, like, just, like, fetal position in the shower, just crying and crying. And when I got the phone call that I was fine, well, it wasn't even that it was fine. It was like, we don't know what it is. We thought it was cancer. It really looked like cancer, but it's come back negative. So they're still doing tests on it. They're still checking to up on honest, me. To be honest, I am quite surprised <laughs> it is not the cancer because I thought it was. I thought it was cancer. I looked at you. I thought, oh, little girl going to die. I Oh, no, so sad. Uh, little girl. Okay, next little girl, please. Oh, far out. But yeah, so they called and, and I was sitting there with um, Damien Callan and Australian, Australia's darling and... Um, and Peter and my mum and Laura and I just, they, they they called me and were like, look, we know you want to get to the bottom of it, so I'm just going to come out with it. It's negative for cancer. And I just bawled. And then they spoke for ages after and I was like, I can't, I obviously can't hear you. Like I can't 
taking any of this. But that week, not knowing. And also, I really needed Tim, my partner, to be there. And I didn't have it in me to tell him that. I didn't have it in me to be like, I'm really struggling because I have this thing in me because I am quite positive and I am quite um, uh, like, I'll just do it. I'm not afraid or whatever. I've kind of built this um, personality, I guess, around that and put a lot of value on that. So when I was so fucking vulnerable, I wanted to be that version of myself that people know. I wanted to be amazing. I wanted to be okay. And so I was like, of course, I'm going to perform because that suits that narrative. The narrative is I performed through it. I made people laugh even though I was so scared. But, but that's really, for other people. That's for other people. That's not for you. No, and it's not. And, it's, and I really just needed to call him and be like, I, you have to come. And I just could, I couldn't do it because I wanted him. I didn't want him to think I was so scared because I didn't want him to be scared. And I, I didn't want our dog to have to go and stay with someone else for a week. Like I just didn't want anyone to be inconvenienced by how desperately I needed his support and I really, really should have asked for it. And I, yeah, it was really hard. It was really hard to to just be like, I, I need you to come, just to say that. Do you reckon you can say that now? Do you reckon if you ever face that situation again, you can sort of say, all right, you know, showtime's over. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. And he's really encouraging of that as well. I've got a, a good group of close friends in Melbourne that are also very just like, you need to stop. Like when big things happen, um, they don't let me do that. Like that was like an experiment. Now they're like, okay, you stop, cancel the show, just stay here and just cry and we'll sort it out. Like it's, it changed a lot for me, I think, that that week of just a devastation and fear, just fear, just being frozen by fear. I... I feel now that I can ask for help and I, and I feel like, oh, it's, it, I don't have to be uh, this idea of, of me and this, this kind of thing that I've built that I want to be. I can be those things and also sometimes just need to have some toast and a cup of tea, you know? Yeah, and a cry, 100%. Yeah. From all, your, all the low points and the, you know, mistakes that aren't really mistakes, you're talking about <laughs> learning from them before, like... What have you learned? What would you tell yourself now if it were to, you know, trough again from a, the current peak, you know? I would say, ah, I think I think I would just want to remind myself that you're just a little girl from Wagga and look how much you've done. Like, you're just a kid from the country who, like, now you're, your peers are the people you grew up watching TV with. And maybe if it, even if it was, like, a career trough, even if it was, like, this is the peak and then I have to, like, go back and, and learn a different trade or become a different type of person, what, what are other jobs? Help. Um, <laughs> but if I have to get another job, you know, and this is, this is all that ever happens, then I've done so much cool stuff. So I, I just, just want to be like, you've, you've done really good and you've got people that love you. And that's all that matters. The sun's always going to shine. Sun's always going to make you smile and that's a treat. So just like take the treats. Take the treats and don't. And also <laughs> stop running from any sadness. Like you have to you have to learn to sit in sadness. And that's something I struggle with. Even when my dad died. Like I, I was there when he died. I was holding his hand and he passed away and I smiled. Because I was like, oh, you're not in pain anymore. And I sang at the funeral. And my brother and sister couldn't do the eulogy. So I got up and I held their hands and I made them struggle. Like it's just this like narrative that I've built for myself that I'm helpful. I'm a helper. And sometimes I need help. And so it's like, oh, just 
find those times. And ask for it. Yeah. Just say, no, please, I need help. And everyone will say, yes, of course. Thanks for listening. To share your fails with me, you can contact me on my Facebook or Twitter at Greta Lee Jackson. Fail with Greta Lee Jackson is presented by me. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.